of tea about what's going on inside Washington, D.C., what regulators and lawmakers are thinking and working on, and what you and your credit union should be focused on in terms of potential risk areas and areas of opportunity. I'm your host, Ann Petros, Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at NAFQ, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Dan Berger, President and CEO of NAFQ, just a mere few weeks before the official transformation to America's credit unions. And Dan has served uh, as president and CEO at NAFQ for over 10 years now. So uh, as we you know, get closer to nearing the, the end of his helm here, um, I'm thrilled to be able to sit down and chat with you. Thank well, I so appreciate much. the invite. It's bittersweet. And so I know. It, it, it is. It's, uh, I, I've been at NAFQ for 18 years and 10 as, as CEO, and so I'm honored to be invited to another edition of The Cup. Of course. Well, this wouldn't exist without you. So, <laughs> um, But for, for those who may not know you very well, um, how did you first get involved in the credit union industry, and really what attracted you to NAFQ? I've been a credit union member since I was nine years old and uh, wow. growing up in Gainesville, Florida, the University of Florida, where my father was a professor, uh, had a credit union and my, all the banking my parents did were at that credit union. Mm -hmm. My first car loan was at that credit union. And so I was very familiar uh, with that credit union. Um, but I was at America's Community Bankers for, gosh, seven, eight years. And then my predecessor, Fred Becker, um, hired Corn Ferry to do a national search for a head lobbyist at NAFQ, to the EVP of Government Affairs at NAFQ. And Corn Ferry came calling, and I hit it off with Fred. And uh, the ability to have more responsibility in overseeing five divisions, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, was really exciting. And, and to see if I could do it. Yeah, it's and, a big so, role. Oh, it was huge. And, you know, two, as you know, mm -hmm. you know, you got ledge affairs and reg affairs and compliance and political affairs. And, of course, uh, the experts in uh, research and economics and all that stuff under one umbrella. Mm -hmm. and, and, and two dozen colleagues, that, that was an exciting role to, that I really wanted to see if I could do and mm -hmm. participate in. So that's how I got here. I, I got yeah. recruited. And uh, it's been a terrific, you know, two decades, 18 years. So. How is it making the transition from community banking to, to credit unions? Um, it was not as, there was anxiety when yeah. I, from my first gave, <laughs> sure. gave notice to A ACB, curve, <laughs> uh, to, to ACB. Um, but 95% of the issues were the same. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's that last 5%, that's 100% of the problem, banks right. versus credit unions. And uh, so, but yeah, there was the, the credit union uh, language, uh, member, you know, that instead of customer, there's those kinds of things that are real granular, sure. um, that get a little different, um, you know, the regulator being a little bit different and getting to know the folks there as opposed to the FDIC and stuff like that. Um, but that's just time and effort and going out and schmoozing and getting to know those folks. So, mm -hmm. uh, the transition wasn't difficult. It, it, it took a, a few months, but it overall, uh, at that time, the members of Congress are still the same. It's just some of the prudential regulators were different. But other than that, everything, it was a pretty easy transition. Yeah. 
I guess once you read the Federal Credit Union Act a few times and figure out the difference between federal and state charter, you kind of get the hang of it. Well, that's a, <laughs> it's a it's a dense reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I put you to bed, but <laughs> it is worthwhile. Um, looking back on your time at NAFQ as president and CEO, what would you say have been the most impactful moments of your tenure? tenure? And let's, let's take it back a couple of steps. Transitioning from EVP to CEO, you know, what was that like? And then what were the most impactful Transitioning moments? to uh, EVP to CEO um, wasn't very difficult because I was an insider because I already knew the staff. Uh, I knew things that um, Fred left this uh, place in very good shape, mm -hmm. um, very good shape financially, good shape in membership. Uh, there was opportunities to improve upon the accomplishments that he ha had created. And so I knew things that I wanted to do and change and, and possibly improve upon. Um, but the transition was fairly easy. Um, but everybody wants the chair till you get the chair. And then you're like, wow, there's a lot of responsibility because <laughs> you're ultimately responsible for everything. I mean, whatever happens in the mailroom or regulatorily or legislative, mm -hmm. it ultimately, even though you have 75, 76 colleagues that help you, mm -hmm. it's still ultimately your responsibility in totality. And, and so there, there is a, it weighs on you a little bit. Um, but the aspects of running a business and being CEO, all of it from the operational standpoint, the, the finances, the marketing, the communications, um, beyond the advocacy that I knew and was involved in for a long time, uh, that was actually exciting to be more involved in the granular aspects of the, of the business side of the trade association. So, but it, 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 it was a pretty easy transition from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. And the most impactful moments, let's say, you know, top three. Impactful moments, geez. <laughs> um, I think first and foremost was opening up our membership to state charters. I think that, um, that was, was pivotal um, for the growth of NAFQ. But I, I want people to understand how that happened. The catalyst was after Dodd-Frank. And what happened was we had such a great reputation for compliance and, and for regulatory affairs, uh, lobbying and everything. People wanted the Humda help. We remember all that Humda came out of Dodd-Frank, we needed help. And so state chartered CEOs started calling our board members. And so, as you know, things traveled down pretty quickly from the right. board <laughs> to the CEO and, and the staff. <laughs> it, it's pretty quick going, hey, there's a CEO that's a state charter and really needs help with Humda and, and some guidance and stuff mm -hmm. and wants to join but can't. And so I brought that to the board and the board had a um, very robust discussion about opening up the state charters and because we're here to help the credit union industry. And so the board, I think, was very wise in opening up the state charters and allowing them to join because it allowed us to help. Now, the side benefit of that um, and it was not the reason we did it. But the side benefit of that is, of course, the membership growth uh, that we experienced because of that. Um, so there, there was a positive aspect besides just helping additional credit unions out there that were asking for it and, and needing it, mm -hmm. but also the, from a business side of the ledger, it was very helpful and impactful for NAFQ. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was Dodd-Frank. And I remember stories oh. of, you know, how people were just like hunkering down for weeks we, yeah we were weeks <laughs> we were in the boardroom dividing mm -hmm. up portions of it i mean we had 
you know, two dozen people reading different sections of Dodd Frank and going through it all. And um, yeah, it was all hands on deck. And uh, th that was a pivotal moment because we had some opportunities there, but it was also probably in my career, one of my biggest disappointments was the Durbin Amendment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first Durbin Amendment um, passing and stuff and not being able to stop that. That still bothers me to this day. It just, it, it's political fraud. They sold a, a bill of goods uh, out there saying that it would lower prices for consumers and everything. And, and you know, it hasn't done it. My YooHoo and my Slim Jim at the 7-Eleven cost just the same, if not more uh, than in the past. So it didn't lower any of the prices that I experienced out there and none of the consumers got it. So it was political fraud. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, yeah, that was a big disappointment. But I think, I, I think for me, the most um, impactful moment for me is the team that we finally got together here in the last few years, yourself included. If you look at our management team, you look at all the staff that we have here, our colleagues throughout NAFQ, um, we're running on all cylinders. We are just killing it. I mean, our membership growth, our financials, we have a terrific board of directors. I mean, all that just came together and it was all the hard work of you and your colleagues and putting that team together to have that passion for the credit union industry mm -hmm. um, matters. You, you, you can't teach that kind of passion. You, you can't, you have to recruit that kind of passion. You can train them up on the credit union industry and some of the more granular aspects of the credit union industry, but it's that passion and that energy and that enthusiasm. And that means, you know, because I say it all the time, that extreme member mm -hmm. service is crucial and, and, and to be responsive to the members it is. Um, and, and, and that engagement and, and being out there and helping in the members. Um, that's probably my proudest moment is the team that we have today right now. I mean, we had great teams over the years, but I think we're really peaked right now. I think it's an incredible team that we have in place. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of enthusiasm and I know that um, just, you know, from conversations with, with credit union members that, that, extreme member service is something they really value mm -hmm. and, and hope to see, you know, continue uh, into America's credit unions. I'm sure it will. Yeah. And, and I, and I think it will, I, the board's going to hold mm -hmm. uh, Jim and the management team at uh, America's credit unions to account. Um, and, and that was one of the things that everybody, as you know, cause we drilled it into everybody is that return the phone calls, return right. the emails and um, be responsive. And, and that's what our reputation was. Yeah, we were known for our advocacy and our compliance and our education and all the things uh, like that. But it, everybody in this building, whether it's the young man in the mailroom, to yourself or me, we get back to people. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the most important part. And that's just, that's the culture that we created at, at NAFQ. And so uh, it, it's, it's been fun to watch unfold. It's been yeah. really fun. A quick response means a lot, even if it's just to commiserate. <laughs> yeah, commiserate or say, I, I don't have the answer for right. you, Ann, but I'll get it to you. Like, give me a day or two and mm -hmm. I'll get back to you. But just be responsive. And I, I think people appreciate that responsiveness. And I fully expect it at the New Trade Association. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I know, you know, if I call any company customer service line and, you know, you get someone who's really attentive yep. and, and makes you feel like your voice is being heard and they understand your issue, it, it makes all the difference. 100%. And I think that's what we've done so well. And mm -hmm. the folks that run the studio, I mean, Eric and, and Nick and stuff like that, just being responsive internally because you have internal stakeholders. Of course, yeah. And then you have external stakeholders right. and just being responsive 
and just having that culture of responsiveness and that service leadership, I mean, it matters and then it permeates. And then you have that reputation. I mean, your culture permeates outside uh, the company, outside the trade association. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you just a phone call back or an email back. Hey, I'll get right back with you or, you know, it's, mm -hmm. but usually we get them the answer right away and then we respond to them. So that's why they get so impressed with the, the stuff that you do and compliance does too. So, mm -hmm. um, on the topic of leadership, what do you think are the top three most important qualities of a strong credit union leader? Communication, communication and communication. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, I early in my tenure, I had an executive coach in, in John Spence and in, in helping uh, myself as well as the entire NAFQ um, with the change management we were doing in, in terms of creating the culture. But communication, the ability to talk about the, the mission, talk about your values and uh, really create, create that culture. And, and talk, when you talk about your vision, have that strategy behind your vision mm -hmm. and make sure it gets executed. Here, here's my vision. This is what I think we need to do. Go do it and get out of the way and you go do it. Like, right. I mean, you created this. I mean, this is incredible. This podcast is a huge following and it, that's, you did it. And you, you came up with a plan. You provided us with an executive summary. Hey, this is what I like to do. Can we invest in it? So do rock and roll and you've killed it. It's a, it's a fantastic. Thanks. And so those are the kinds of things that you want to do. You want that enthusiasm and that passion to give as much information out to the industry because this is helpful. The, mm -hmm. the discussions that you have and those really powerful VIPs and prudential regulators and people that you invite on this thing is huge. And to have those conversations, the members like that and then and they deserve it. They're, part of their dues dollars, you know? And right. so it's, um, but I, I think it's, um, communication's absolutely key. I think a focus on culture. I, I mean, it's so important. Um, I, I think it's important to, to have that culture in place because it gives you the resilience when things go bad. And so, cause not everything, there's gonna be black swan events. There's gonna be another financial crisis. There's gonna right. be a, a, another piece of legislation or a regulation that's promulgated. Um, that's going to be difficult for the industry. It's just going to happen. Black swan events occur. That's the reason they're called black swan events. And so, but if you have the culture to handle those moments and empower your team and your colleagues to go handle those moments, they'll do it. So culture mm -hmm. is really, really key. But you also have to have strong um, execution. Strategy is important, but strategy is useless if you can't execute. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you and everybody within this building is so good at. Yeah, we have the vision, we have the culture, we have the strategy, but the most important part is the execution. And you go out and you actually get stuff done. And that's the stuff that matters. So what you're describing is the difference between strategy and tactics. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the on, the, on the ground initiatives and and work that carries out the vision that yep. is set from the top. Yeah, and, and a lot of that is attributed to our board of directors. Mm -hmm. I mean, they help with the strategy and they, they don't get involved in the tactics. Um, you know, that, that's up to you and, and, and your colleagues to figure out how to get things done and the execution. But it's my discussions with the board and the board's direction to me and, and, to, and to staff, that strategy is done at the top. It's not tactical. That's that's your job. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Greg Misak's job. That's Brad Thaler's job. You know, you guys figure out how it is. And we'll talk about our change in the studio here or or the conferences that we did. We had a meeting. We said, hey, we want to look like a modern, forward-thinking, cutting-edge, innovative trade association. 
and you get it to Hannah and Eric and Nick, and they ran with it. And they, the conferences are incredible. I mean, you walk in there, you look like a cutting edge, innovative, modern trade association. You know, the studio is magnificent because of them executing mm -hmm. on that vision and that strategy. And so, but it's important to have that. Now, there is a difference between strategy and tactics, and, but the execution is really, really key. A lot of people have a lot of strategies. They have a lot of strategic plans, a lot of business plans, but if you don't execute, it's going to fail. Mm -hmm. And strategic plans are very important. Um, sometimes board members may may want to get a little more involved than is appropriate. Not they, our board they members. Have, <laughs> they have some some great you know yep. tactical ideas. Um, but what's your advice to credit union leaders in terms of? managing expectations and that level of involvement? Well, we've been blessed. I mean, for the 18 years I've been at NAFU, we've had terrific boards. I mean, mm -hmm. the board has been fantastic. Yeah, there, occasionally a, a board member would get into some of the tactical issues. And I, I had one board member ask a question and, and started diving into some tactical issues. And, and of course, I didn't do it in front of the entire board. I pulled them aside and I'm like, you know, if you had a board member that said to do this, 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 and this, what did you tell them to do? Oh, I'd tell them to pound sand. And I'm like, you said oh. it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but there's ways to handle it and, and, and be respectful and, and professional. Um, but we, we haven't had many of those. And I can count them on one hand. I mean, mm -hmm. our board has been very strategic, um, extremely supportive of, of management, extremely supportive of staff. And um, that's, that's what you want. And that's just, Developing that trust and that relationship with the board is really, really key. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, some smaller credit unions, especially, may be struggling to find the right talent um, to fill their their board. But you know, you've got to search far and wide, right, to find the best people. Yeah, and and I think it's, and, and that's um, that's a problem in our industry, and it is mm -hmm. make sure that you have a bench and people ready to go whether they're serving on the supervisory committee or you have an advisory committee of the board and stuff, to start training some folks to be on the board because I'm 57 years old, but a 30-year-old board member is going to think differently and have different experiences. So to get those right. younger board members in there is really important. And, and I think the diversity of age, the diversity of race and gender, all those components are extremely important because all those experiences are different. And so the boards need to have at least an informal, if not a formal training program to get some new board members in. And if they don't, then they might need to consider term limits and, mm -hmm. and things like those lines. But I think there's ways to handle it without term limits, but you need to have some, you know, new blood get on the board and get some new thoughts and, and, and input, you know, from different right. folks on the board to, from the community. Um, but yeah, that, that's a problem. It, it's uh, especially with the smaller ones. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's it's difficult, and the small ones are, are struggling. It's hard. It's expensive. It, it's you know the compliance costs, so. mm -hmm. the technology costs, uh, the, the labor costs. All that weighs in. But uh, you and I both know you know hundreds of small credit unions that are doing an incredible job. They have to work harder than a Navy Federal maybe, because right. they don't have the resources and they have to work a little bit harder um, and, and smarter, um, but it can be done. It's mm -hmm. just very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it takes maybe a little more effort, but uh, they can make it work and many do it very, very well. Extremely well. Mm -hmm. um, looking ahead, what do you think will be the biggest threats to credit unions and the most important 
issues for credit unions to tackle in the next, let's say, five years? I think because of the balance of power in Congress, I think the power shifts directly to the regulators. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know that very your, well. <laughs> into your realm uh, of expertise. It, it's the prudential regulators. Um, it's the CFPB. Mm -hmm. um, probably some more CFPB and name some more CFPB. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you have regulators um, pushing the envelope beyond their congressional authority and, and congressional intent. And, and so those are um, going to be some major headwinds, I think, for the industry coming up. I, I'm not so concerned about the congressional side of things. Mm -hmm. We have plenty of friends in, in, in Congress where I, I think we can get some things passed and some things stopped if necessary, something hostile uh, gets sponsored. But I think the biggest threat that we have is from the regulatory side. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's going to be a, a major problem for several years uh, coming. It also depends on uh, who's president in the next election. Right. That, that'll change things. But the other threats are it, it's competition. And, it, and, it's, and it's competition. Everybody talks about the community banks and the regional banks and the big banks. Um, it is, of course, the fintechs, and, mm -hmm. you know, and it's the kid in the garage in Palo Alto coming up with the next app to compete and try to take market share from credit unions and other uh, community financial institutions. Um, but it's also credit union versus credit union. So the competition is out there. It's real. And so competition, so you, and everything in financial services is becoming commoditized. Mm -hmm. So then it comes back to having that culture of, you know, being responsive and having uh, the technology partnerships with fintechs so people have access to their money in a frictionless manner and their money is protected and stuff like that so you can compete and, and and take on the big institutions or the fintechs and stuff like that it can be done it's that relationship banking it, that relationship mm -hmm. banking is absolutely crucial and we, we're still loved i mean <clears throat> the googles and the facebook's they're never going to have that trust that the credit unions have developed over the last hundred years um, they try to buy it with ads and something they can't do it. Um, it takes time to build. It, 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 it takes <laughs> can't decades. You right. can't do it overnight. But I think one of the other biggest threats is probably the Amazons of the world. I mean, I use right, Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. So big tech, everybody trusts it. I use Prime. It's push and click. Oh, I see course, what I need. Fantastic. I, I need my vitamins. It's buy now. Mm -hmm. It's gone. So that trust factor. I get my groceries delivered sometimes. Yeah. It's wonderful. You get your groceries <laughs> delivered. Yeah. I get my books downloaded on Kindle. Everything's, you know, push and go. Mm -hmm. So if they come out with, with a token or a stable coin, um, they could be a direct threat pretty quickly mm -hmm. because there's, they do have that trust with the consumer. So that, that concerns me. But, but again, it goes back to your point. It's that relationship banking. You have to have that. Yeah. I mean, I think regulators are really concerned about the, I guess, let's call it proliferation of big tech, right? Especially into financial services. Um, so I know the CFPB is focused on that. I'm sure other regulators will pay close I attention. I encourage them to be focused FTC, on Right. I mean, that's something, that's something we actually like that the CFPB but they should is doing. Have, they should have be yeah. under the same regulatory schematic as depository sure, if you're institutions. offering financial services, <laughs> you're and, playing and the, in our ballpark. Absolutely. And the, one of the largest, quote unquote, banks out there is Starbucks. Mm -hmm. They have billions of dollars on their app. Mm -hmm. You know, and then they make investment income from that. But you think about it, people have tons of money on their app that they're utilizing. And so, yeah, yeah CFPB should be looking at them. Tons of money that's not insured. 
100% accurate. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about all this junk fee stuff? It's uh, administration-wide. So, I mean, even the FTC is taking a look at this. Um, you know, we hear all the regulators <laughs> paying attention. Yeah. The, the FTC has got some things they got to take care of in their own house first. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the junk fee... Um, was a brilliant marketing tag to get sure. out there, um, but it's a, it's a misnomer. It's not accurate, um, and, and so I think you'll see some pushback, whether it's lawsuits um, and, and legal uh, pushback. I think you'll see continue to see congressional pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of problems out there with them trying to cap things. You don't have the congressional authority to do that kind of stuff. Right. And so when you're pushing those limits that way, I think you're going to see the NAFQs of the world or the America's credit unions um, in, in the future pushing back on those pretty aggressively. Well, we have to. Absolutely. I mean, junk fees don't exist in financial services. I, I sound like a broken record. I feel like I say that all the time, but it's true. <laughs> and it is just so frustrating to see, you know, time and time again, this rhetoric, especially from the CFPB. So, um, you know, hopefully it clicks. <laughs> yeah, but you, you and your team have been doing a great job. You have to push back at every yeah. opportunity and, and write the letters and, and do the op-eds and all the stuff that you're doing. It, it all matters because you can't leave a charge like that unchallenged because right. then it sticks and then it's in the mindset of the consumers and stuff like that. And then and, and it starts being permeated everywhere. So you have to respond to mm-hmm. and you have been. And so and I suspect you'll continue to do so with the America's credit unions. Well, and I understand and respect that, you know, consumers may feel really frustrated, right, when they see fees that they don't understand. Right. Um, but I'd argue that that's just not the case when it comes to, you know, the products and services that you get from your credit union or a bank. Um, and, the, so, but, and the disclosures associated with oh, those There fees. are tons of disclosures, yep. many that were put in place by Dodd-Frank. Yep. You know, the Dodd-Frank Act required a lot and for example, mortgage lending. Um so it just uh, doesn't quite add up. Um, but, you know, I, I will be the first to tell you that, you know, when it comes to like resort fees, you know, I can do without. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, they, they show up on the bill. And, and then I think the one that bothers me the most is when my daughter buys concert tickets and they're like ticket maps oh, and some yeah. of the fees. And, and, and yeah, and there's, a, there's some areas they can focus on that don't have the appropriate disclosures that they should to protect consumers. Exactly. And so, but it, right. it's not in the community, uh, not in the credit union industry. Right. All right. Now, what is your hope for the credit union industry in the years to come? I would like to see them continue to thrive. And I, and I think that was one of the things that we focused on uh, in NAFCU, as you very well know, is that we want to help credit unions grow mm-hmm. and, and you have to grow to compete. And I'm not saying grow for the sake of growing, grow smartly, have a plan, execute appropriately. But in order to compete in this realm, you have to have some economies of scale. You, you have to grow. But I really want to see credit unions thrive. And you don't want to go back um, to the robber baron or the big, when the four banks controlled everything in this country in the, in the beginning of the last century, 
you just don't want four banks controlling the entire financial mm -hmm. services marketplace. Um, it's not good for the consumer. It's not good for Main Street. It's not good for communities. And so I, I want to see thousands of credit unions still in existence providing those banking services that are needed out there, especially in the areas where there's financial deserts, whether it's in urban areas where banks are pulling out or rural areas where banks are pulling out. I, I, I want to see credit unions continue to thrive. And then that's why we exist. Is that's our job is to fight for credit unions and make sure they have a, a you know legislative and regulatory environment that they can thrive. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's and you and your team have been doing such a great job at it. I, I think that needs to continue in order for that to occur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, part of thriving, you know, in this day and age, means innovating and you know providing the convenience that consumers are looking for. Yep. Um, so I think at least on the regulatory side of things and, and certainly, you know, legislatively, there are some opportunities to, to make it easier for credit unions to, you know, partner with fintechs or adopt innovative solutions that. that yeah. And, 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 and then take it a step further. There's opportunities for them to invest in uh, opportunities that are out there, though, right. whether it's the circle fund mm -hmm. or the circle collective and those folks, you know, investing in fintechs that are, you know, helping credit unions, you know, with their technology platforms. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things are really important to be able well, to, to have a conversation with the NCUA, but that's a, that's no, a, that's a subject a whole for a different that, time. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But I think there's opportunities out there. Um, but to, to your partnership, as much as we occasionally beat up on fintechs, mm -hmm. um, credit unions can't do it alone. They no. have to partner with fintechs um, in, in order to provide the technology and the services that their current members want, but more importantly, the younger generation demand. And mm -hmm. so you, and, and most credit unions don't have the financial worth all, you can't have 200 programmers like Bank of America does. So you have to partner with the FinTech to get the appropriate apps and technology platforms to provide those services. Right, you need to outsource. So you have to, absolutely have to partner, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, through NAFQ services, same thing. I mean, Randy and his team, uh, they have partners that provide the same type of services and provide those partnerships and, and platforms um, th that'll help you grow and thrive with various products and services. So, yeah, you have to look for those um, partners that'll help you grow. Yeah. All right. Well said. Dan, any other, you know, thoughts? comments for our our viewers maybe can you let us know what's next <laughs> <laughs> i know everybody's really <laughs> curious well the 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 board asked me to stay to the end of the year which i'm very appreciative and and I agreed to do um there's a few people have called and uh, i'm in talks with and stuff I'm going to take a little time off um, and spend some time with my family a little bit and mm -hmm. sort through some of this stuff. You know, um, there'll definitely be some fishing involved. I was just going to say, I know you love maybe fishing. Maybe a little golf, a little <laughs> fishing. But um, and, and as you know, you know me well, um, I don't rest on my laurels. I'm type A, go, go, go. And so um, there's never going to be a complete retirement for me. So it's uh, and again, I also have a daughter at Vanderbilt, so I, yeah. I, I still have to work. <laughs> so, a few more years. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And uh, no, I, I, I uh, there's there's some things that I'm looking at. So, all right. Well, we're eager to see the the next chapter of Dan Berger. So, <laughs> but Dan, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I no, I was just gonna say one of the final thoughts is that. Uh, 
I am going to absolutely miss you and the rest of the colleagues here. And the people in the control room there and Eric and Nick are two of the best in the business. And uh, uh, we have a great team here. And that's the part that um, I'm going to miss the most. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to not get emotional, but. <laughs> I know, I'm, my allergies are kicking in a little bit here. And I said I wouldn't do it. And, and, oh, so. Dan, thank you so much for everything that you've done for NAFQ, our credit union members, the credit union movement. Um, I mean, we all owe you our sincerest gratitude. Well, I appreciate it. So man. I will certainly miss you. I know um, thank you. many I others who will as well. So, thank you. Thank you. All right, that does it for today's episode. So if you enjoy watching The Cup, please subscribe, hit the like button, turn on your notifications to receive alerts for future episodes. And as always, let us know about topics you love to hear about in future episodes. We love hearing from you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.